0: Logitech just announced the new MX Keys S keyboard with a superior low profile typing experience, enhanced smart illumination and 17 programmable hotkeys. The new smart actions in the Logi Options Plus app gives you the power to skip repetitive actions by automating multiple tasks with a single keystroke. It's like macros with a little magic. Go to Logitech.com to find out more. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am here again with my co-host, Forrest Brazil. We are working on a series of podcasts where we hook up with some of the folks who are building AI tooling at Google, working inside of Google Cloud, and more specifically talking about how this impacts the world of software development and the way people who are listening to this might do some of their work. So Forrest, before we get into the chit chat with our guest today, there's a little bit of news I know you want to cover, so hit us up.
1: Yeah, thanks as always, Ben. You know, I I think the biggest thing probably because this is uh, the first time we've been able to really dig in deep to what was announced at I.O. since I.O. happened in May. And I I think the biggest thing is going to be the release of this thing called Duet. We're going to talk about this much more with Marcos when he comes on because he's actually the product manager for that technology. Uh, But you can think of this as code generation, code completion um, embedded right in your IDE wherever you work, whether that's VS Code or whether it's like if you're working in cloud workstations, a hosted IDE, like that, um, you'll have both that code suggestion ability and also almost like a little bit of a a chat helper that will come in and talk to you about this, this code. And uh, what I've realized getting into this, Ben, is, you know, the the model that underlies Duet, which is called Cody, um, is one of a family of models that live inside this thing that was released, it kind of put into GA at IO or public preview called Model Garden. And uh, mm. Model Garden is kind of the, the place where you go for a bunch of Google Foundation models. They've got some open source models in there, too. And I think eventually the plan is to pull third party models in as well. If you go there today, you'll see several dozen of these models that exist, and they're what they call multimodal. Multimodal models is yeah. my new favorite buzzword, right? So it's not just text-based models, but you've got um, you know code generation, obviously, but also models that do images and models that do speech. Uh, and you'll see more and more of those pop up over time. The other thing that's that's been announced that I think is cool to to dig into is something called Generative AI Studio. Uh, so there's Model Garden, which is where you go if you want to just kind of pick the models off the shelf, and you can actually get direct API access to them, so you can put them directly into your applications from there. Right, and, and that's that's kind of your your store bought, ready to wear. AI models come out of Model <laughs> Garden. Uh, but if, if you want to tweak the models and, and do different things to them, then you take them over into generative AI studio. This is where you get to kind of tweak and experiment. And if you want to go even farther than that, you'll have the ability to actually break out into Vertex AI, which is the, the full, you know, giant machine that can... Uh, Fine tune all sorts of uh, AI models for you. And again, we'll talk more about this with Marcos, but uh, at that point, you are actually retraining the model partially. I mean, right, you're not just right. um, injecting more context into it. You're not just bringing in your own examples for it to train on, uh, but yeah. you're actually changing the weights of the model itself. And once you're doing that, it's very important that you have confidence that whatever tweaks you make there are, are uh, sandbox proprietary to you. They're not making their way out into the wider ecosystem right, right. or trained for others. And
0: yes. Generative AI Studio does a good job of locking that Leaking out. the weights is. Uh, the new leaving with a thumb drive in your pocket. Yes, that's that's the new pushing your public key to, to GitHub, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think there's a lot packed in there. I'm excited to talk to Marcos. Uh, a little bit of news, a few things over at Stack Overflow. We just put up our annual developer survey. Over 90,000 people gave us their responses. So shout out to the community. We have an entire section focused on how developers are adopting or not adopting AI tools and whether they trust uh, the code it writes for them or not. So some really interesting data in there. We've got a deep dive analysis. And then we launched a new labs page where we're showing off some of the experimentation we're doing, whether that's on the public platform or in Teams, using this new AI technology that has been making waves uh, to improve the experience for our public users, whether that's optimizing question titles or for our Teams users, you know, helping them to ingest content, understand what questions are being asked repeatedly, where they're wasting time, and how they can... Get those into a central knowledge base to fix all of that. Nice. All right. Enough with the news. Let's get to the meat and potatoes of the show. We want to meet somebody interesting who's working in the field. Talk to him a little bit about how this stuff is actually getting built. So, Forrest, cue up our guest here.
1: Of course. Thanks, Ben. So, we're very excited to welcome to the show today Marcos Grapeggia who is a product manager at Google Cloud working on something called Duet for Google Cloud. And uh, Marcos, I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit more about what that is, because it just launched, right? Not a lot of people have had their hands on with it yet, but we're, we're very interested in, in what this can do.
2: Yes. So hi, everybody. My name is Marcos. I'm product manager within Google Cloud's developer experience team, specifically focused on Duet AI, as well as Cloud Stations, essentially our solutions providing AI assistance uh, for developers, as well as a cloud-based IDE and developer environment. The key idea for Duet is essentially providing developer assistance on the developer in a loop directly in the IDE. So let's say, essentially, imagine, let's say, you're writing code, either on, let's say, VS Code, JetBrains, uh, ID, such as IntelliJ, PyCharm, Riders, so on and so forth. The idea is providing you with code completion and code generation, directly on ID. Let's say a writing code, let's say a writing a function, essentially completing uh, the current line of code you have, or even, let's say, providing full form uh, function generation or boilerplate generation, let's say, for tests, such as writing a new function, writing a test, or trying a new API, as well as providing you with a companion chatbot directly on your ID, which has the context of which code to have open to allow you to ask questions in the context of your currently open code. Right. First, a good point. Uh, we just announced that in Google I.O. a few weeks ago. This is currently in a private preview. So I can give you folks some instructions after about how to get uh, access. But essentially, you can go to go.gle slash ai assisted dev to ask uh, to join our uh, waitlist. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get that into okay. the show notes, cool. I'm sure.
1: Yeah, so I, I've got to ask Marcos uh, because, like, you know, we've seen a lot of these. I feel like kind of LLM code generation, code completion tools that are that are popping up, and Google has released another one just recently, which is Bard. They've added coding support for that as of I think a, a couple of months ago. So, can you help us situate? Like, I'm a developer. I, I'm trying to you know generate some code. When and where would I want to use something like Duet as opposed to you know going and having Bard just ream out a giant file for me?
2: So both Duet as well as Bard, use the same the foundational model, essentially coding, right? So coding, our models here, which essentially, what is essentially, it's a large language model, which, yes, is trained on large corpus of data, but also is trained on uh, code specific, essentially code samples, right? So I think the way of, uh, that's where they're similar. Where they differ essentially, is I can see those as being used in kind of, say, different development modes. So maybe, you'll say, you're in the flow, writing your code, trying to be productive. That's a good fit, uh, essentially, for Duet, essentially helping you say, hey, I'm writing my code, I perform my day-to-day development. But sometimes you may just want to take a step back, pause, say, hey, let me do a Google search, for example. That's a good more to say, now hey, well, maybe you want to get maybe a scratch pad, someone to ideate back and forth, that's essentially a good fit for Bard. Essentially, hey, you can go there do a regular purpose uh, ideation. Let me see. Okay, what are some libraries I can use for this? That's a mode which could be a good fit for uh, Bard. Yeah,
0: that makes a lot of sense. And so Bard, yeah, is a little bit more general purpose, and Duet's a little bit more honed in on when you're actually writing code. It can help you. I guess talk to us about some of the engineering challenges when you're fine tuning an LLM to write code. You know. Are there things that people might not be aware of that are specific to that versus an LLM, which is trained on legal data or an LLM that's just very general purpose, all the text on the internet?
2: It's a great question. I mean, there are several. Let me focus on two specific ones which come to mind. The first one is uh, hallucinations, essentially how to tame or model, how to ground it. That's the first right. one. And the second one is essentially uh, toxicity and security of the, the output. Right? So for the first one, I think the first thing which is worth keeping in mind is whenever uh, you are building a, a tool which is focused on productivity and empowerment of developers, it is critical for you to provide an input which is accurate more often um, than not. And not only that, it also avoids introducing potentially sneaky bugs within your code. Say, big, let's say, area which it took us significant time. And I can, I can say it's, kind of, it's kind of a journey. I mean, I've made it's making some good progress there essentially, hey, how can you get essentially uh, a few set of journeys and make sure it's performing well? For I think a key error for us was creating, for example, benchmarks. So an example thing we did was say, hey, let's pick a bunch of Google Cloud code samples and see how well this model performs and say, what if we knock out one line and say, can the model bring back the same line? So one thing we saw, hey, just by running those basic benchmarks, it was kind of, say, a good way for us to find, say, enough and say gaps within the quality head. I think it's one. it was one area where uh, essentially having a set of benchmarks which was scalable and reproducible was a critical part to essentially create a pattern where you can essentially avoid uh, regressions. I think it's one of the key things, which, which was whenever you do benchmarking manually, it gets hard for you to catch regressions over new builds. That was one key thing here. And the second one was toxicity security uh, checks. Even though, say yes, I mean, code is less likely to be toxic than general purpose Uh, chat. We did still find cases where there really were some offending uh, issues here. And the challenge here was how to have a model which does toxicity checking, but doesn't impact your latency too much. That's one thing we took as a time to get. Ahead, to essentially fine-tune a small model just to essentially flag in some of those uh, patterns. And the solution right had here was essentially a compromise between we do some pre-processing steps, that's one thing, but also do some post-processing step after you accept something. That's kind of the compromise we found here to allow this to, to essentially as an 80-20 balanced approach uh, here. Yeah.
1: If I'm a developer, then using Duet, Marcos, and I see, you know, a um, a hallucination pop up. I'm assuming there are still cases where that might happen, right? At this point, yeah. So, what what does that look like? What should I be aware of, um, and and what what should my development process be to make sure that I'm not like I don't know using a, a library call that doesn't exist or something like
2: that, right? No, it's a fantastic question, and, and yes, they're they're getting see, less and less frequent, but there's still easy chance uh, they happen. I think one of the key. Uh, Principles worth keeping in mind is uh, large language models are very good with en- enhancing developers, allowing you to do more and to move faster, and also very good with helping developers do a task. Would be potentially say be slightly above, beyond their comfort zone or slightly above say their their expertise area, essentially to okay, let me explore new libraries. But they're not a great replacement for day-to-day developer. Essentially, okay, so if you just try to say, hey, here's a comment, write my function for me. If you don't understand your code, that's still recipe uh, for failure. And the model is still <laughs> even help you right. explain the code for you, get the high level. But essentially, you still, uh, nothing, it doesn't replace developers fully understanding the code. I think it's a pattern here, yes, you still wanna be, it gives you some boilerplates, give you some samples, but where it will really create a risk is when you get to a state where, hey, people are submitting pull requests, which they may not really completely understand. It's a part which yes, I essentially want to have still keep a culture of code reviews and AI tools as an extension of developers, not as a replacement that you blindly follow and then create some potentially sneaky cases. Yeah.
1: Although yeah. I know that Google is starting to experiment with uh, AI pull request comments, right? And uh, AI pull request reviews. I just saw a blog about that. Yeah.
2: We, we are, yes. And actually, there's, there, there are two interesting uh, patterns here, right? So one thing is Google has its internal culture. I think Google is famous for having a monorepo. Let's say all the code is readable by everybody. But I said that like, readable. There's also a whole process of readability reviews, meaning before submitting a pull request. Someone, let's say, who knows Java or who knows Python reviews a code to ensure it's easy for anyone else to read that. Mm-hmm. That is kind of a low for the case. Let's have a potential, say, some basic advanced linters for varying those. But one thing which was very interesting was, in many cases, when you go through a code review process, your reviewer may say, hey, please uh, fix this, or please refactor for the ability. And one thing, so, hey, what if you could provide a fix? based on the comment for a reviewer. That's something which you saw as being promising in terms of reducing the time for a fix getting done by the people submitting a request. doesn't replace, but it helps you, gives you kind of, say, a starting point for you to think from. Yeah,
0: I think that's one of the most fascinating, to me, possibilities here is, like you said, these little automated agents that are always spiting around the code base, acting as linters, or, you know, doing some of the tidying up work that, other people have asked for, even suggesting sometimes, hey, this is a place you might want to tidy up. So the code that Duet was trained on, where are you getting that from? And I remember when they announced Bard, and we were talking with Paige, she had said, occasionally, if it's from an open source GitHub repo, they'll even link to it, right? They'll try to do some attribution at the bottom. How do you approach that kind of attribution and licensing for the code that's used in Duet?
2: Uh, Let me talk first about the training data sets, like the pre-processing, the preparation steps for the model. Then about cross-processing, I can't give a complete picture. So for the training data sets, I mean, similar to how uh, we is a similar training data set for both models, it's essentially a crawl of publicly available Git repos. Essentially, we're talking about a few billion lines of code of training. You need to have a very large data set for the model to be able to generalize and find enough patterns for it to be useful. What we do here is there is this public crawl. Then uh, we do a two passes of uh, processing of the data. So one is you filter out non-permissively licensed code, let's say uh, LGPL, AGPL, or commercial, uh, commercial license code. That's the first thing. And the second is removing PII or sensitive data from that person-defined information mm-hmm. or sensitive data from this training data set. That's essentially the training data set, the model comes one thing which is always uh, worth keeping in mind is there are many, many ways people provide license information on uh, their code. So there could still be cases where, hey, this process may catch, let's say, a percentage of your issues, but not uh, everything. That's why we have a second step, which is a post-processing validation step, which is after you have accepted the suggestion, we run a recitation checker, which checks a string of up to 120 characters, almost verbatim, You know, of course, it does say Mixing of double spaces or so on and so forth. We have tries to match as close to verbatim to the training data set as possible. When it finds a matches, a match, it shows you, hey, this code matches our training data set. Here is the repo, have a link to the source repo, and here's the license. So this helps both with once you get even if you get permissively code, suggestions using permissively license code, helps you provide attribution. Say maybe if I get code from MITK, you're gonna be able to tell back, hey, that's where I got this code from, and in some cases you may get, hey, this code has unknown license, so please proceed carefully. So that's the session gives you to make a call directly uh, on your side. That's kind of the two.
0: Always copy and paste carefully. That's what we say at Stack Overflow. Yeah, it's interesting. We've been thinking about a lot of the same things and how we might approach using Gen AI tools. And I think one of the things that has been said over and over is that, you know, because we work with a community of folks who are known, who are earning reputation, and they're the ones who kind of contributed all the knowledge, we want to build a system where if that stuff goes into a model, in the end, you can still reward the, you know, people who provided that information. They can still be surfaced. You know, it doesn't just come out of sort of like a black box. So I appreciate hearing that you had a thoughtful approach to it.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I just wanted to call out this this Cody foundation model that you're referencing is not only um, a model that you know is used in Bard and used in Duet, but I believe through Model Garden and Generative AI Studio in Google Cloud, you're also able to, to build your own code LLMs on top of that same foundation model, right, Marcos?
2: That's correct. Yeah, it's it's a great question. There is uh, some uh, vertex AI capabilities which essentially allows you to. That's one of the things which uh, the team is working on uh, towards, which is allowing you to essentially fine-tune those LLMs to your code base, you as an organization or as a customer. Let's say you may have your own proprietary or internal frameworks or internal best practices. The G here is doing two, actually more than I mean, many techniques here, but the two worth highlighting here is, one is uh, supervised fine-tuning, essentially provide a list of question answers per say, Hey, when getting suggestions this way, that's a recommended way of answering. Sure, that's one way of fine tuning. And the second is unsupervised fine tuning, meaning just feed me, uh, feed the model your code base, and have it learn from your code base. uh because say unsupervised uh, kind of learning right. here.
0: All your developers' good
2: habits and their bad habits. Uh, exactly. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. You may get it, <laughs> you do want to do, do some round of cleaning uh, on the code base. Maybe say. Yeah. Base. Authors are, yeah, like, we want to do a, a pass of, uh, kind of kind of, as people say, garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I think it's, uh, there's also a second challenge here is you have a lot of code, right? So I think we're really talking about millions of lines of code. So the reason why supervised learning tends to be a sl- easier solutions because you can just essentially, it's easier for what to mainly create a set of a thousand, ten thousand QA pairs versus you kind of have to have, let's say, millions of lines of code, which is something which is, may need to be some art in case you don't have, let's say, enough, uh, a large enough uh, data set to start with. You mentioned how the, this underlying
0: model is used in both BARD and DUET, but how does that relate to like POM? Like is BARD using two underlying models or can you, can you just ex- walk the, through that? There's a good question.
2: And Palm, more specifically, Palm 2 is the foundational model, which uh, undergirds coding. Imagine Palm 2 as the underlying model yeah. trained on broad text, that's essentially it's, it's a model which knows how to chat with you and converse with you. On top of that, there's right. an extra round of uh, unsupervised training happening on Palm Two to t- teach Palm Two how to code. That's essentially coding. Gotcha. Essentially, it's a uh, see. I think a good analogy here is there is SECPOM. There's a mod, there's a version of Palm which is fine tuned for security. Coding is a version of POM, which is fine tuned for helping with code, both version about code as well as doing code completion. There's a is more nuance thing, which is just getting a bit into the weeds here, which is there's also a round of feeling middle, training due to ensure it performs not only well for generating code but also feeding doing middle code completion, which is something that's pretty handy for developers, but I won't get too much into the weeds for this one specifically.
1: Yeah, the way I think of it is a Palm has a lot of fingers, right? So, you know, you got got Palm and Sec Palm and Cody and all these things Ooh, uh, exactly. connected to it.
0: That would be some strong branding. You should suggest that for the next IO. So we'll see about that. So I guess you just mentioned folks, you know, maybe putting this on top of their own, you know, repo or, you know, inside of their company's code base. One of the things that I'm really fascinated by is LLM's ability to produce more accurate and useful output if you do a multi-step prompt if you do chain of reasoning or as you say if you fine tune them on the data set that you're going to talk about right so it's not just pulling from this vast generalization but it knows to go to a uh, you know a tighter source material so for folks who would do that i don't know if you've rolled it out yet it's still kind of like you said on a waiting list but how do they know that you know their proprietary code is going to be safe like why you know to put all that into a training model seems like it might make some companies hesitant
2: I just want to reinforce some of the Google Cloud uh, AI principles, which was we don't, from our Google Cloud customers, we don't essentially use customer data, such as their prompts or the responses they got back, uh, as input for improving our foundational models or our product meaning. Uh, mm. And that's a very, something to take very seriously, because the moment you use that as an input, there's a non negligible risk of potential exfiltration, say if someone being able to, via prompt, attacks, finding ways to get it. So you don't use uh, this data uh, by default to train our foundational models. If you go the route of doing uh, so fi- uh, fine-tuning, what happens here is you're creating a separate model, which is within, essentially, it's a customer-owned model. So essentially, Google doesn't use that model or the product directly. It's something which is specific to your organization with all the type of controls, such as virtual private clouds, managing encryption keys, audio controls to ensure that it's the customer uh, model. Essentially, here is we're taking a foundational model, we're creating a separate checkpoint, which is essentially a chain on your code base, and it's behind your, essentially, your IEM, identity access management, policies, and roles. Essentially, it becomes, essentially, your model as, as the customer. Of course, one thing we need to do at some point is creating some kind of pipeline say, hey, every time, every once in a while, we build Against the foundational model to catch all the updates, have essentially it's your uh, model, uh, similar to how you use Vertex AI today, for example, for convolutional neural networks, ResNets, the same thing. Essentially, it's your model which only you have access uh, to. Yeah, well, of course, with all the proper say transparency and control mechanisms for users. Yeah.
1: Marcos, this has been so wonderful, and I, I want to kind of finish up by asking, as you start to see more developers using tools like Duet uh, and integrating generative AI directly into their development workflows, what are a few best practices you can recommend or, or maybe some things you see developers doing that you would advise against to get the most out of these tools?
2: That's a great question. I think one thing kind of gets a bit to the basics and I the best practices of uh, development in general, which is... You always want to have a code review process. Essentially, say senior members helping junior members get up to speed, as well as ensuring practice. I think it's. I think the developer outer loop doesn't fundamentally change the sense where you want to have some round of uh, reviews here. I think the best uh, practice you want to recommend here is ensure that developers are really understanding what they're getting back uh, from the models. That's one thing. That's something which interesting. Even the models help you directly. You can actually prompt the model to help you understand your code base. That's one uh, thing. And I think the second thing which is very interesting is try to quantify the impact of the essentially. Hey, uh, there's one thing which is there's even some white paper Google wrote on that topic, which internally this whole idea of, hey, uh, how can I uh, use acceptance rates? Or how can I use a percentage of code generated as a way to measure, hey, how much are developers really getting uh, their savings out of this, their productivity savings right. out of this model versus the impression of productivity, which is something which may be nice, <laughs> but sometimes we need you to easily, I think it's one thing which we saw as similar to how AI is very much an iterative process, say, within image processing, image labeling, or uh, general purpose chatbots. We see this taking a similar direction, which is yes, you want to have a way of quantifying the impact and do experiments to trick, say, hey, maybe if I do more tuning, less tuning, that's very much this experimental. Uh, I really see as being something which we kind of recommend as uh, having similar, say, ML, say, research experimentation approach being done for development tools as well, which is very much in its infancy, but I do see an area which kind say quickly uh, evolve, which is iterating and uh, doing experiments to optimize these models uh, to the developers over time. All right, everybody. Thank
0: you so much for listening. We're going to do something a little different today. Usually we shout out the winner of a Lifeboat badge, which is somebody who came on Stack Overflow and contributed uh, a little bit of knowledge But today we are going to shout out someone who came on Stack Overflow and contributed a little bit of knowledge specifically to the Google Cloud Collective. So if you're not aware, there are a number of companies that are working with Stack Overflow to create kind of like a community within the larger community uh, where folks who are experts in all of this stuff can go and people can be recognized, you know, who are contributing, even though they may not work at Google. So in the last seven days, our top Contributor is Samuel. Thank you, Samuel. Uh, Five hundred and seventy points. Lots of great stuff here about Google BigQuery and Google Data Studio. And I'll shout out one more just in case we need it, or you know, for whatever it's worth. Alex Mamo, thank you for contributing. Uh, Google expert or Google developer expert for Firebase. So appreciate you coming onto the collective and sharing some of that knowledge with other folks. And yeah, if you're interested in you know, learning more about The Collective, I encourage you to head on over. We'll share the link in the show notes. And then, yeah, just to uh, get this out here, because I know we mentioned a lot of the stuff in the conversation you just heard, for us. if people are interested in learning more about the stuff that we discussed with Marcos or they uh, want to join that Trusted Tester program, where should they go?
1: Yeah. So if you go to cloud.google.com slash AI, uh, that should take you to a place where you can sign up for this trusted tester program. That's a wait list that'll get you early access to any of these tools that are not out yet, like some of the new Duet for Google Cloud features. But you can gotcha. play with some of this stuff now, particularly the generative AI studio things I mentioned at the top of the show. Um, and you can just uh, look for generative AI studio in the Google Cloud console, and you should right away be able to get into model garden, start experimenting with those models.
0: All right. If you're looking to Duet, you know where to go. Thanks for listening and we will talk to you soon.